We are continuing on in the series, The Carols of Christmas. And this morning we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that's page 965 if you're using a pew Bible this morning. Chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. The carols of Christmas, the joyful songs of Christmas. And as I've already said to you on three occasions, the reason for this series is because what I realized as a child, not growing up in the church, but singing the Christmas carols of the church, that that I was surrounded with the gospel and didn't even know it. On Christmas Eve, we're going to gather together in this sanctuary and For the most part, we will just sing those old, familiar Christmas carols. And the reason we can do that year after year, and it doesn't get old, is because they, as I've said, are pregnant with the gospel. It just flows out of those carols. Line after line after line, again, bleeds scripture, truth. This morning, we're going to go back to them again. And uh, before we do that, I want to look at last week just for a moment. Because last week was a, was a precious time for me as I prepared for the service, as I got ready for it. Because we talked about, by thine all-sufficient merit, God and sinner were reconciled. I remember, I remember hearing those words after I was a pastor, realizing how full of truth that line is. Thine all-sufficient merit. We, as we said last week, um, we, we, before we come to see the glory of Christ and what he has done, uh, want to kind of operate on a curve basis. You all know that if you were in school, you get graded on the curve. And last week I told you the story of being in a class where that worked pretty well, except for the fact that somebody in the class busted the curve. They not only got all of the answers right, but they got all the extra credit answers right, and so a curve doesn't work very well when that happens. It messes up the curve dramatically. But the statement that I made, and I say again, is this, that God busts the curve because he does it perfectly. He does bust the curve. But then he gives us his grade. And the thing I don't think I said last week, and he does it without cheating, That's the glory of the gospel. God steps into the grading system and he messes it all up. We all fail miserably because of the perfect score that he has. I mean, curves are given when everybody does bad. But when somebody does perfectly, it messes it all up. But God then, after he messes the curve up, 
he says, I'll give you my grade. And then we're going to talk about this on Christmas Eve. He does it without cheating. He does it without any unrighteousness in him. That is an amazing thing. And and it is the glory of the gospel. Listen to what it says in Romans again. These two verses. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, the first Adam. By one man's disobedience, by representation, we all sinned in him. That's what this text talks about. He was our representative. And what he did was accounted to all of us. We all sinned in Adam. Now, we've gone on to sin ourselves, but we sinned in Adam. This is talking about representation. And the argument is, you are represented by Adam. All men are at one time. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, Jesus, the second Adam, the many will be made righteous. That is an incredible truth. And that's the truth of what we talked about last week. We, we said it in four different ways. We talked about merit, but we talked about that merit being a merit that was planned before the foundations of the world. It wasn't as though God looked down and saw Adam's sin and so he needed to react. Oh no, now I have to do something. But before Adam sinned, before he became our representative, God had a plan. The second thing is that the global, it was a global merit plan for a global need. It was a global merit plan for a global need. The scripture says in verse 12 last week, Um, death spread to all men because Adam sinned. It spread to all men, all-inclusive, everyone, everywhere. Adam is the representative head of all humanity, not just those who choose to be Christians and they decide we're going to come into this teaching and be under Adam as our head, but all men. The Bible clearly teaches all men have a problem of representation in Adam. It's not just for the Christians and the Muslims have another way and the Buddhists have another way and whatever other religion you want to be has another way. That's not what Christianity teaches. All men, sin spread to from Adam. So it was a global merit plan for a global need. And then thirdly, it was an all-sufficient merit provided by representation. It is a wonderful truth that Christ's perfect obedience, if you're a Christian, is your perfect obedience. If you are represented by Christ, if you've run to Christ and cling to him, his obedience is seen as your obedience, his perfect obedience. That is your hope. You're represented by his perfect life and perfect death. And so you move from being represented by Adam to being represented by Christ, by being represented by disobedience to being represented by obedience, perfect obedience. And then to just kind of cap it all off, the writer says, and this is a vastly superior representation of merit. Verse 15 of the text last week says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. But if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. 
a far superior representation. And I pray this morning that even as you came to worship, maybe some of those thoughts came to your mind. And you come with a heart full of joy because of the truth of what Romans chapter 5 tells us. That we have a vastly superior representation. The perfect obedience of Christ. Now, today, we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to talk about this morning... Born to give them second birth, let us find our rest in thee. But the question we want to ask and the question that should come to our mind, I hope, is why do some people see glory in what we just talked about, in what we talked about last week in passages of Scripture like Second Corinthians chapter 4? Why do some people see glory and beauty and treasure in that? And other people become angry or hostile toward it and call it foolishness. Or at, at, at least they just yawn at it. They, they may be ambivalent, but they just yawn. Why, why the difference? Why do some people hear it and see glory and other people get hostile or ambivalent? What makes the difference? What What is the difference? There's no glory, no beauty, no treasure in it for them. Why? I think it goes back to what we're going to talk about today. It has to do with new birth. It has to do with God coming and doing a work in the heart of man. If you see this as glory and as beauty and as a treasure, that's the work of God in your life the work of God. The text this morning, I want to look at it and give you reasons from my own life why I believe that. Now, certainly the scripture affirms it, but I just want to take my own life for a little bit and walk through my own life and talk about four different things that I think were true in my life and I think are true in lots of other lives as well. But reasons in my life why some people See glory and other people yawn or get hostile. The first reason is, and I say it about my own life, there was a time in my life when I didn't see glory in that. I didn't see glory in texts like that or truth like that. I just didn't see it. The gospel, the scripture, I think, describes it. The gospel was veiled. Look at what it says in the text this morning in verse 3. This is what I was like. This is where I was at. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. I was there. I was there for 18 years of my life. I saw no beauty. I saw no glory. I saw no treasure. I was blind. And all I could do, all I could do in my life was sin. That's all I could do. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says that all of us were once dead in our trespasses and sin. That's all inclusive. Everybody on this planet, again, it's a global problem. 
All are dead in trespasses and sin. Dead spiritually. They have no spiritual life at one point in their life. And and for some, God changes that. But all inclusive. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. I was dead. I was dead spiritually. I had no spiritual life in me at all. And as one person writes, this was my condition. This is, this, I, this is just a perfect description of my condition. And he writes this. Since I had no spiritual life within me, but only death, everything I did, everything I did was sin. For what is sin but falling short of the glory of God? And who does anything for the glory of God when he is spiritually dead? And the answer is nobody. I had no concept, I had no category in my mind regarding the glory of God for those 18 years. All I did was sin. Even my best efforts as others looked on were full of sin. My definition of sin is out of the book of Corinthians where it says whether we eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. To the degree that we do that, the degree that we eat and drink, and it means all-inclusive, whatever we do in life, whatever we do with a mind to his glory is good. And whatever we don't do to that end is sin. And I had no category for glory, the glory of God, and even to think about the glory of God. And so everything I did was sin. That's a, that's a pretty stiff indictment, but it was true. I believe it was true about my life. As an unbeliever, I had no concept of God's glory. Verse 4 would describe me in this text. Look at it again. Verse 4 says this to us. It would be descriptive of me. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. I didn't see it. I didn't recognize it. And therefore, therefore, I was in a bad place. I was dead. I was dead spiritually. But then, God took away my blindness. Because today, when I read this text, I see glory. When I read this text, my heart leaps when I hear things like we had in Romans chapter 5 where it says that Christ is my representative head and that his obedience is my obedience. That kind of truth just leaps off the pages for me. It is a wonderful truth. But at one time it wasn't. And what's the difference? What made the difference? What changed it? And I believe what changed it was spiritual light came into my life. Look down in the text in verse 6. This is what happened. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God spoke. He spoke as as much as he spoke at creation, when he looked out and he said, let there be light, and there was light in the earth. He did the same thing to my dead soul. Let there be light. Let there be sight. 
let this one have spiritual life. And, and exactly what it says, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of Christ came into my heart and into my life. That made the difference. That made all of the difference. It's why one person sees glory. It's why another person scoffs and gets angry and worse. Because God does a work. He says, let there be light. I am so grateful that he did that. I'm so grateful that he brought this dead soul to life. And that's what the scripture means when it talks about um, life and second birth. Born to give them second birth. There's lots of ways it's described in the scripture. It's described as seeing. It's described as hearing. It's described as being born again. It's described as, uh, as passing from death to life. There's all kinds of ways in which the scripture describes it. But it's what happens when God opens our eyes spiritually. We see, we begin to see something we had not seen before. That's the glory of the gospel. It's an illustration of that would be the thief on the cross. There's lots of illustrations in scripture. The story that I gave you out of the book of, of Luke with the road to Emmaus and how God helped them to understand the scriptures. That would be an example of it, of how he opened their eyes to see. But the thief on the cross would be a a key illustration of that, I think. You remember that story. Remember, Jesus was crucified by two, one on his right, one on his left. You won't get this in Luke's gospel, but if you go to other gospel writers, you find that uh, both of them were scoffing at Jesus. Both of those thieves on those crosses were scoffing. In fact, the book of Matthew, it talks about all the things that were being hurled against Jesus. And then Matthew says, and they were participating in it, both of them. Both of these men beside Jesus were doing that. Now, you don't hear that account in Luke's gospel, if all you hear there, because in Luke's gospel, what you see is that at one point, one of those men says, don't you understand who you are speaking to? Now, the, the, the point that we want to make is something happened. Something happened from the time that person was hoisted up on the cross to the point that he died. In the middle of that, something happened. He went from not seeing glory and spurning glory and being angry at glory and seeing no beauty and no treasure in it saying to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What did he see? He watched Jesus, I think. He just watched him. He watched him from that cross as he was hoisted up. And he watched the insults, the insults that were coming from him. And he saw the response of Jesus. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And someplace along the line, as he looked at Christ... God opened his eyes to see glory and beauty and treasure. That's exactly how it happens. God opens our eyes. Now, certainly he uses means. And and the scripture is full of that. And we want to talk about that. Because it came for the thief on the cross as he looked to Christ. As he looked to his work. It happened for the people on the road to Emmaus. 
And the disciples that were gathered there as, as they looked at Jesus, he came into their midst and they looked at him. And so it comes by means of Christ in looking to him. And I'm grateful that there were some messengers because this is the progression of my life. I was blind, I was dead, and then light came, and that light came through messengers in my life. It happened for me when I was 18 years old, my high school auditorium. I didn't attend church, but a couple of times that I can remember, and I think the only reason I remember is because that's the only time I attended. I remember distinctly um, a Christmas Eve service being with my parents, And I remember a Bible school of a Lutheran church that the neighbor a few doors down invited me to go to. But I remember little other times of being in a church building even. But when I was 18, there were some messengers who came and they came to my high school auditorium and they lifted up Christ. And as I looked to Christ, the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ was shed into my heart. And I saw things differently. I saw it for the first time differently. I came to life in Christ. It's interesting what the scripture says. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Acts chapter 26 about these messengers. Acts chapter 26. This is the account in in the uh, book of Acts of Paul's recounting his conversion. And Paul is recounting his conversion to before Agrippa. And he's telling about how it happened on that Damascus road, which would be another example, another example of how God took one who was spiritually dead and brought light to him, shown the light of the gospel into his heart. Paul, on that road to Damascus, as he was brought from spiritual death to spiritual life, as he was born anew there and began to turn from fighting against those who wanted to declare the gospel to be one of the greatest messengers of the gospel ever. Paul was changed in a moment of time. But look at that whole accounting. You go down into verses um, 18 and and, uh, last part of 17 and then to 18. After he tells about his conversion to Agrippa, then he goes on to uh, tell what God told him and why he did what he did, why he took Paul, who was an enemy of the gospel. And in a moment of time, he went from being an enemy and seeing it as something he wanted to stamp out to seeing it as a treasure. And the reason is, God says he did it for this reason. I am sending you. I am sending you, Paul. Look at how it's worded in verse 18. To open their eyes. Open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The same thing is talked about there. There, Paul is, is being sent, the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ shone in his heart so then he could be a messenger of that light. But here it talks about that they would be turned from the power of Satan to God. All of us are in his clutches. You go to the book of Ephesians and it talks about us being spiritual dead and, and, and how we follow the prince of the power of the air. We're sons of disobedience and sons of wrath, it says in Ephesians. 
All of us, everyone, myself, we were blinded by Satan. It talks about it in Ephesians chapter 2. It talks about it in our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It comes back here and, and, and it's talked about by Paul and the message that Jesus gave to him. That they be turned from the power of Satan, from spiritual blindness, from spiritual deadness. And God does a work to, to change us so we see it differently. A glorious work in our hearts to open our eyes to see something, to see glory. Look back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and look how it is stated there in, in the scripture as you go down through that passage to verse 6. It's a, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge doesn't just say of God, but of the glory of God in the face of Christ. There are people who have a knowledge up here, have a knowledge of the gospel, but it's not glorious. Satan has a knowledge, but there's no glory in it. The difference is seeing glory in it. The difference is seeing the glory of what Christ has done, having your eyes opened, and it goes from just being knowledge in our head to become beautiful and a treasure. The Bible talks at places about finding a treasure and how a person found a treasure and they, they went and sold everything they could to come back and buy that treasure. It's that kind of a gripping of our hearts that we, we see this gospel as a treasure. Only God can do that. Only God can do it. And he does it by showing the light into our hearts. And he uses messengers. And what do those messengers do? What do those messengers continually do? But point us to Christ. Point us to Christ. We talk a lot about in our, in our church the centrality of the gospel. The centrality of Christ. I believe with all of my heart that that the ministry we have here is to magnify Christ. We exist to magnify Christ. That's what we're to do. I can't, I can't turn the light on. Only God can do that. But the way he does it is through messengers who magnify Christ, who lift up Christ, who take us to the scripture and show us the truth of the gospel in various places of scripture. And really what it is, is just the careful, careful, patient teaching of the scriptures. I have a real concern in our day and age, and I, I believe God is changing that. I believe he's making a shift. But, but I became a believer um, around 1973, so that would be 40-some 40, 40 years ago. And one of the things that was prevalent there and for some time became more and more prevalent was a downplaying of truth. In other words, you'd hear people, you'd hear people talk negatively about theology, which really means just what you believe about God. And they would downplay those kinds of things. And for a period of time, that has occurred even to today, although there seems to be a new wind, 
seems to be a new breeze blowing. And you see why that's so dangerous? If that continues to go on, that we downplay truth, we downplay theology, what you believe about God, we take away the very means by which God sheds the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ into hearts. It's the means. You have nothing to work with. If all you talk about is, is uh, experiential kinds of things, you're going to be in trouble. One of the concerns that I've had, and I've shared this before, but one of the things is I worked in the youth movement for a number of years. Um, one of the things I, I saw oftentimes, not always, but sometimes, you would, you would have people at, at events declare, they would, they would whip up the crowd emotionally with some stories, and then at the end of that, they would invite people to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. The problem is, they didn't tell you who Jesus was. They didn't, they didn't lay out the story of Jesus. They just said, come to Jesus. And one of the concerns I had is, there was no gospel in that. There was no talk about what Jesus did. There was no scripture there was no truth being lifted up. Just come to Jesus. Now, I think some people probably genuinely came to Christ in that. But it was in spite of it and the way it was done, not because of it. You see, it's so important that, that we have the faithful declaration of truth in the gospel, whether it be from this pulpit, whether it be in Sunday school classes and many of you are teachers, your your work is to just magnify Christ, lift him up, to be the messenger because God is the one then who takes the message of the messenger and opens the eyes of people to see glory in it. This morning, I hope you see glory in it. I hope you know the reality of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, that you see beauty in it, that it's a treasure, that it affects your life more than, um, than just at Christmas time, but it's, it's a treasure. You cherish it in your life. We're going to sing together as the worship team comes another Christmas carol, one of the old ones. Let me just read it to you. Read what we're going to sing and just listen to the truth. Listen to the words in this carol many of them that I've talked about. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all the nations rise. It's a, it's a global declaration. Join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, came in, he entered into the brokenness. Hail the incarnate deity, God becomes man. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, 
born that man no more may die. And then this, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth, born to shed the light of the knowledge of the glory of God into the hearts of a people. Let's stand and sing today. Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled Joyful all ye nations rise Join the triumph of the skies With the angelicals proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Christ by highest heaven adored Christ the everlasting Lord Late in time behold him come Offspring of the virgin's womb Fill in flesh the Godhead see Hail the incarnate deity Pleased as man with man to dwell Jesus our Emmanuel Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Hail the heavenborn Prince of Peace Hail the Son of Righteousness Light and life to all He brings Risen with healing in His wings Mild He lays His glory by Born that man no more may die Born to raise the sons of earth Born to give them second birth That once these eyes were blind to glory, and now they see. I'm grateful, Father, that you shed the light of the glory, of the knowledge of God in the face of Christ into my heart. And I pray so for all that are here this morning, that we know the reality of that, Father, that that we see Jesus as the treasure that he is. God help us. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.